0: everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Board Game Mechanics Podcast. I'm Jason, but with me as always is not Katie today. Um, she actually had a little bit of stuff going on, and she couldn't make it, so I'm just going to be flying solo. And I'm going to be talking about probably some stuff, some nonsense, but it'll all be board game related. Hopefully, not making any promises or guarantees, but we'll try to stay on track. Since I'm here by myself, sometimes I don't get off track as much because... I'm not good at, like, witty banter with myself, so there is that. But anyway, that's enough of an intro, I guess. Without Katie, it seems kind of less exciting. So let's just move on to a little piece of news that I have, and we'll keep going. All right, so I have one Kickstarter that I wanted to talk about, and this is one that came across my Facebook page, and I was instantly intrigued by it. I don't know if I bought into the hype, if FOMO got me, or whatever. But once I saw it, I sent it to Katie. I was like, we got to talk about this when it's getting closer to the end. And this is the week. So the game I'm going to talk about this week is called Bear Mountain Camping Adventure. And I forget who this is from, so I'm going to keep talking while I'm looking that up. Or the publisher. But this is effectively... A board game that has a dual deck building system and now I've never heard of that before but there are two different colored decks there's a green deck and there is a blue deck and you're gonna be getting cards from both of those decks throughout the game and you're gonna be drawing from each of them based on what campsites you get to so the way the game works kind of for a quick overview is you're gonna have this little camp meeple that you have and you're trying to get to different campsites In different colored order so there's like certain campsites that are a certain color but ultimately you have to make it to the top of Bear Mountain to first to win so you're trying to get these cards that are going to give you activity tokens and you're going to be spending these activity tokens for more cards to go visit campsites and all that kind of thing Um, as you move up closer to the mountain it gets a little more dangerous there could be a bear in some of these campgrounds that when you flip over this tile it'll scare you back to the front or where you came from Um, there's like an off-road car that you have to get to be able to get to the top of the mountain because it's riskier. Uh, it's, it's, it seems like a really cool concept. I don't really understand the dual deck building. It seems like it could all be one deck of cards and it might just be a gimmick. But if it's not a gimmick and it does, each of the decks are different in some way, which I'm assuming they are. But just looking at the overview, it didn't seem like they were a crazy ton different. A lot of the cards had similar icons that they were giving you and all that kind of stuff. So I don't really understand that part, but it's a cool concept. So I figured, you know, I like the camping theme. I like the outdoors theme, even though I hate going outside. Um it's has a fantastic components and it just looks like a really fun game. And most of the games that I've played that have to do with hiking or camping have all been a good time. So this one hopefully follows in that same trend and the publisher of this is sweater bear games so i looked that up as i was chatting and i don't know if they've done anything let's click on it to see this is real time right here real time that we're checking out first game that they've created so this is their very first game so you know you're taking a risk and a flyer if you're going for it but here's the good part the retail version is only 39 bucks now this is i think like an early bird kind of deal there was 22 of them left when I was looking at this at the time of recording so maybe it'll be full up by the time you click on it but even if so $69 for the deluxe $99 for the all-in so the deluxe comes with like two expansions I think and an extra game that's only Kickstarter exclusive the all-in comes with I think an even an extra expansion outside of all that and some additional I think like game trays or something I didn't look at that one too much because I'm never going to back it so you know, whatever the $39 one is all retail. There's cardboard punch outs, no wooden bits, but it's the full game, all the Kickstarter exclusives and all that stuff. So yeah, if you're interested in this, or this sounds fun to you, which sounds like a killer good time to me, there's three days left. I gave you the prices, so don't sleep on it because you will miss out. So that's the Kickstarter news I have for the day. Not a ton. I don't do as much a good a job as this as Katie. So we'll just leave it at that and we'll go on to some games. That we played. Alright, so the first game that I played is a game that we just got delivered on Kickstarter. It's uh, from All Play or BoardGameTables.com, whatever. I think they're officially All Play now. It's a two player only trick taking game called Sale. And this is a game that I backed just because I'm shallow. Now, this never happens. I don't normally back games or get sucked into games because of art or components but this one got me the art on this game is from weaverson santiago bloody inn uh whirling witchcraft i think there's another game that i'm drawing a blank on i think he did the new version of um coup or something like that and it is fantastic the box on this is one of the best boxes i've ever seen it's just an ocean With a boat on it. But the color palette and the way it looks is just fantastic. So that's what sucked me in. But then I played it. And this is a two-player trick-taking game. Where players are trying to navigate this ship from the starting line to basically their destination. Sounds easy enough. But when you're playing cards, that's where the game gets a little tricky. Because there's no communication when you're playing the tricks. So you're trying to navigate your boat. From the beginning to the end. And the way that you navigate the boat is the player who wins a trick, maybe, if certain icons are played on those cards, it may move the boat toward that person that wins the trick. So they, it either goes like north or south on the movement. There's like these diamonds and it's like a, a diagonal movement. So if you know I'm sitting on the south side and my, my teammate's sitting on the north side and they win the trick, the boat's going to move diagonal to the north. Now, why is that important? On this track, there's going to be some Krakens and some Islands. Islands are impassable. If you get into that space, you're just not going to move. So if there's a diagonal north and we move that way, we're not going to move our boats. We've effectively wasted a turn of movement because we didn't plan or play correctly. And if you land on a Kraken, you're going to take ship damage. And those are lower value cards with a Kraken icon on them, and they're going to cause more damage to your ship, and it becomes a snowball effect. Now, it's a normal trick-taking rule. Is if someone leads a color, you have to play the color if you have it, but on each of these cards, based on the number, 1, 2, and 3 have Krakens, and I think um, like pirate ship steering wheels. Then there are some cannons on 4, 5, and 6, I believe, or 4 and 5, and then 6, 7, and 8 have wheels as well, I think. And there's also uh, mermaids. And the two cards that are played, you're going to look at those two icons, and if they match this icon grid, then you're going to get to do an action. You could move it diagonally. You could take damage. You could be able to fight one of your damage off and send it back to the Kraken deck. If you play two mermaids together, you're going to move your ship forward a space instead of diagonal, which is effectively two movement spaces, which is awesome. So you're just trying to figure out what card to play based on the pre- card playing phase planning and then you're hoping that you've planned correctly and you can play without talking cards and when you pass cards to your teammate that they know what's happening if you lead a certain color they understand what's happening there's a lot of meta like communication but it's a really cool game it's just it's simple trick taking but that extra element of moving around on the board really jazzes this up a little bit and I think it's fantastic I can't wait to play it more we also have an expansion that adds like some whirlpools and a few other little tokens that just kind of jazz up the board a little bit because it can get a little generic a little plain after you know you play it a ton of times I've only played it like once so it's not a big deal but um, if you play it a, you know 10 12 times you might look for a little more so we do have one that has a couple more characters and just more things you can put on the board but it's a, f- a fun game it's a clever game and I can't wait to dive into it more and just see what else this game has to offer and I like it so first game we're going to talk about is Sale. So the last game we're going to talk about that we played is a game that you're going to be like, what are you talking about? Who is this guy and why did he play this game? And I thought that myself. But I'm trying to play games that are outside of games that I normally play. Because who knows, maybe there'll be a game that I love. And I find this whole other genre of games that I want to start playing. And this game is Cthulhu Death May Die. This is an Eric Lang game. I think there's a co-designer. It's also um, a Seamon game. So that's two names that we don't talk about a ton on here. Maybe more Seamon. And in this game, this is a cooperative game. When each player is taking on like an investigator, it's in the, um, what is it? Ar- Arkham, not Arkham, um, Eldritch Horror theme or like um, HP Lovecraft. There's a whole bunch of games that CMON has. See, this is how much I don't know about this. But where you're like these like crazy mental patients and you're investigating like elder gods and stuff like that and you're going slowly going insane as the game takes place. But anyway, there's some kind of theme to it. But what you're doing is you're taking on the role of one of these characters. Each player has a special ability that connects to them only and then some players may share some special abilities. And as the game goes, it's a cooperative game, you're trying to defeat all these baddies and you're trying to complete this mission. The game we played... We were trying to investigate these or interrogate these bald ballroom dancers. And we had to find four, like, what were they? Like red witches or sorcerers or something and get them to a certain space on the board by um, like ushering them. So we're guiding them to this place so we could call off this ritual to keep the elder god from coming. So we had to do that first. So meanwhile, we're doing all this thing. We're, we're fighting these baddies. Meanwhile, while we're doing these this little side quest thing that's actually really important with the ballroom dancers, Cthulhu is advancing on his doomsday countdown track. So as he's doing his thing, uh, he starts spawning more monsters. He starts getting stronger. Eventually, he's going to come out into the board, and he's going to start smacking us around. But until we do the first part with the dancers, we're not able to hit Cthulhu. And by then, there's all these baddies on the board that are just going crazy, starting to slap you around. You can't move anywhere. They're following you around. You're rolling 17,000 dice, taking a bunch of hits, dying. I was Rasputin, and I died of wounds two times, uh, but I ended up ultimately losing losing because my insanity got too high, and I just couldn't handle it. So cooperative game where you're just basically fighting baddies, trying to complete these quests. You're making some discoveries and getting these cool cards, which are going to give you special abilities. And rolling dice for combat. i don't. That's the part that I didn't love. I don't love that piece. Um, I just feel like there should be more strategy when you're going up to something other than rolling a die. But outside of that, it was a fun game. I had a great time. I liked my ability. I liked the stuff that you could do in your turn. Uh, the monsters just explode, but it feels so satisfying when you're beating them down. It's, just, it's a fun game. Uh, the scenario we played was really good. I've only played that one. I'd be interested to play another one because I don't know how different they feel. If they feel different, I have no idea. But it was entertaining. So, not a game I would normally play. Probably not one that I'll play a ton more. But if somebody wanted to play it, I would gladly play it because I had a good time. So, that is Cthulhu Death May Die. And those are the two games that we played. Alright, so we're going to do the feature this week. is going to be probably the last episode that we're going to do about... Games that every gamer should own. And I have this down as part five. I tried to come up with a clever title, but I think I've used all those up. It's about four parts deep. The fifth part pushes it over the edge. So probably not going to get a cool title this time. I apologize. But either way, we're going to talk about some games that we like in different categories that um, I think everybody should own. Now, Katie had some games. I deleted hers before I started recording, so I can't even mention hers. So I do apologize. So instead of ten this time, you're getting five so sorry about that. So without further ado, let's get going. So the first category that I wanted to talk about is a heavy game. Now, just because a gamer doesn't plays games doesn't mean that they don't like heavy games. And I think every gamer, if you're a gamer, may want to have a heavy game. And I'm not saying like, you know, campaign for North Africa or some crazy beast of a game that you can never learn. I'm talking about a game that has a lot more going on. It's Pretty rules heavy but thematically and the way that it works all makes sense and for that i had to pick a vital game and this is in my opinion is the most accessible vital game and this is the gallerist now this is probably my favorite vital game because it's the smoothest it's the easiest to teach and it's the one that makes the most sense of what you're doing but what you're doing in this game is you are running a, a gallery an art gallery and you are trying to get paintings in your to hang in your display in your muse, in your gallery you're trying to discover new artists you're trying to schmooze with the overseas diplomats you're trying to win some some auctions to help you get more art uh, you're trying to push the fame of your artists so when they're on display they more more people come you're trying to get people to come into your uh, gallery so you can have more paintings on display all that kind of thing it's a really cool theme, but the interesting thing about this game is there's four worker placement spots. So this is kind of a worker placement esque game, because you're really never really moving your player off the board, just moving it from one spot to another. And when you go to a spot, you're going to have an option of like two different actions that you can take. So you go there, and I may be able to discover an artist. But when you're discovering that artist, it it's there's like 12 steps that you're going to be doing to discover that artist. You're going to flip a tile. You're going to get some kind of special bonus. You're going to be able to get a a token for a painting that, no matter how popular this artist gets, you can always buy the painting at the cheapest value or the piece of art. It's not all paintings, but I just call them paintings. So maybe it's photography or digital art or whatever. And uh, you're just you have us since you discovered them. They owe you a favor, so maybe they get super famous and their paintings are going for twenty twenty dollars. You can still buy it for three because they owe you a solid because you made them who they are. And as you're playing this game, you're spending your money but you're earning money and all your points are money. So you're basically giving up points to buy things. You have to sell, you have to buy, and you're just trying to manage your money in the best way that you can. So you had the most at the end. There's a lot more going on than that, but it's just, it's the most satisfying in my opinion of the Vitao games. And whenever I'm done playing it, I feel like I've done something and it just feels good to look down and see all the paintings and art that I have. And The journey was just a good time. So, heavy game that I think all gamers should own. The Gallerist. All right. So up next is economic games. Now, the Gallerist could have been considered an economic game. What I think of an economic game is is where everything you're doing is using money that you have to earn more money. Gallerist fits that bill, but it might be a little heavier than what I was thinking for an economic game. So the game that I picked which I probably wouldn't have picked, but there was just a recent Kickstarter, so this should be available here soon. I don't know soon, how soon, but it should be. And that's Lords of Vegas. Now, why did I put this in the economic game category? What you're doing in this game is you are trying to basically run hotels in Vegas. And you're doing what you're doing is you're going to be earning plots of land, you're going to be trading that land, you're going to be selling that land, bartering that land with people. And you're trying to build these big conglomerate Hotels in different sections of Vegas, maybe getting them on the strip to make them more valuable to ultimately earn the most money and be the first player to get to a certain amount of points. But you're not going to be able to do that without money because everything you do costs a pile of cash. So you're going to be spending cash. You're going to be gambling in other people's casinos. You're going to be buying stuff from people. You're going to be using this money that you have to earn more money to ultimately turn that money into points by having huge conglomerate of casinos. This has a kind of a reminiscent feel of Monopoly. It's a billion times better of a game, in my opinion, than Monopoly. But the way that it works, like where you're getting properties and you're collecting fees from those properties, it has a similar vibe. It's a super easy to play game. Basically, on your turn, you're going to take a card. You're going to flip a card from this deck. That's the new property that you own. And then based on the color of the card... Anybody who has a hotel in that color will score money and or points. You get money if you own uh, land. You get points if you have hotels built in that color. So that's kind of how, how, how it works. So, I mean, yeah, that, that's the gist. And it's a lot of, you know, whatever card you get is what you get. Uh, but on your turn you can build hotels you can if you have some of the expansions, you can build your hotel up instead of just out. you can if you have another expansion you can get these uh, underworld cards where you can like call on the mob and they can get you extra points or do crazy things for you. you can change the color by remodeling your casino you can uh, if you're the boss of the casino meaning you have the highest die amongst all the dice in the casino, you can roll other people's dice to try to make you know, boot somebody out and all that kind of thing. It's just a ton of stuff you can do. It feels kind of ruthless and mean like Vegas I feel like Vegas would have been when it was being discovered and founded and all that stuff, but it's just a fun game. Is it the greatest game in the world? Probably not. But is it fun? Yes. So if you're looking for an economic game that's not like an eighteen XX or, you know, City of the Big Shoulders or something like that, stock market esque, I would suggest this one. Is it probably the most economic game? Probably not. The Gallows is probably more, but I think this one scratches that itch a little bit of the economy and all that kind of thing. So I'm going to pick it. So my economic game, Lords of Vegas. All right, so up next is resource management. Now, this was one that I was struggling with. I know we play tons of games where we get resources and we turn those resources into other resources. And then we spend those resources for more resources or contracts. We have a ton of those games. But I was drawing a blank or I'd already used those games in another category. So I was trying to think, what is a game where you are collecting a bunch of resources, spending those resources, and then trying to use those resources to fulfill different contracts? That could also be contract fulfillment, but I think the resource management of this one, this game that I'm going to talk about is a little bit better. And that is Juicy Fruits. So this is a game, I think it's from Capstone. And what you're doing in this game is you are basically, it's kind of weird. You know those little plastic puzzles where there's like a space space? an empty square like a nine grid and one of the squares is empty and you're trying to slide stuff around to make a picture that's kind of what you're doing in this game you have this player board in front of you and you have these like i think five different baskets five or six different baskets with a different fruit on it and you're going to move this basket as far as it can go in either the column or the row until you either can't move from the side of the board or you hit another piece however far you move it is how many of that kind of fruit you're going to collect so if I have a banana and I can move it down too, I'm gonna to collect two bananas. What you're trying to do is you're trying to get these different fruits to fulfill these contracts that are on these boats that are blocking spaces on your board. You wanna get these boats gone for two reasons. They give you points and they're gonna make your player board bigger so you can slide those baskets farther. And then you can use those fruits for the boats, or you can use those fruits to buy additional buildings or items for your player board. You can get a milkshake or an ice cream, different type of machine that's going to give you a pile of points by sliding that the same way. You may just get some different types of building tiles that, while they don't slide and they go on your board, they block up your spaces, but they're worth a lot of points. So you're trying to balance all that. And it's you're trying to get the most points, get as much stuff as done as you can before a certain number of buildings have been purchased. And this round marker reaches the end. There's also an advanced side where you can do less like a little spin fruit to move this little token around to get extra points. You don't have to play on that side. I kinda like it, but you could just play without that and it's the same vibe. It's a really fun game. It's not super heavy. It's not hard to teach. And everybody's played that stupid little plastic game. When I described it, you knew exactly what I was talking about. But it's it's a fun game. We actually found it at Origins. It was twenty bucks. Granted. We played an older version where the fruit were these super thick, chunky wooden pieces. This version has, you know, each of the wooden pieces are now like a third of the size. So you're getting the like more pieces with less wood. But it's still the same game. It's still as fun. It's still a great time. And I think it scratches that resource management itch pretty well. So if you're interested, if that game sounds fun to you, which it should have because it's fantastic. We do have a video and you can go check it out. And I highly recommend it. So resource management, juicy fruits. Next up, people love to play a game called Mencala. This game's been around forever. And this is effectively a game where you're picking up these stones in these little, like, bowls. And you're dropping stones around. And you're trying to end in certain bowls to collect stones to have more stones than your opponent. That's kind of how it goes. I think that's how regular Mencala goes. I haven't played it in a long time. But it's something like that. You You know the drill. You pick up stuff. You're moving it around. You're dropping off a piece at each of these different bowls until you run out. And then you're either going to collect or score some kind of point. That's how Mancala works. So there are a lot of modern board games that have that Mancala mechanism in it or base a whole game around it. And that's kind of what this category is. So this is Mancala. And the game that I picked probably does the Mancala almost better than any of the other ones. It's a fantastic game. We just played it not that long ago, which is one of the reasons why I didn't put it on the games played section because I knew I was going to talk about it here. And that is Five Tribes. If you haven't played this game, this is from Days of Wonder and designer Bruno Catala. And what you're doing in this is this is a, a game where there's a board. I think it's a six by five grid of, of tiles. I'm not hundred percent sure. And on those tiles is going to start with three meeples of a bunch of different colors. I think there's red, blue, green, white, yellow, Yeah. So five colors. And on your turn, you're going to pick up all the meeples on one of the tiles. Okay. And then you're going to drop one off at a time to different adjacent tiles, not diagonal. And whatever the last one you drop, whatever color it is, you're going to pick up all the meeples of that color. And then you're going to take an action. So for example, say I ended with green. Green will let me purchase these cards that are different goods they're called a merchant i think the green ones i I can buy as many take as many of these cards from this row of cards as i have green ones so if i pick up four i can take four cards And you're trying to get all different types of goods of these cards because they're worth a bunch of points if you can get all nine of the different goods and then if you've managed to pick up if you pick up all the meeples and you have cleared off the tile you can take one of your little camels put it down all the tiles have a point value you're going to score those points at the end of the game, and you can take the action of the tile. You can always take the action of the tile, period. So even if you don't put your camera down, you can take the action of the tile. And the action of the tiles are spend money to buy more of those cards. You can recruit a genie, which is like some crazy special power that you can have maybe for free, or it's a passive action, or you may have to spend a different colored meeple. There were some points as well. Uh, some of them even will put down a palace or an oasis and if you happen to get a camel on that tile and you own it and you can get a bunch of those other pieces on there so a palace or an oasis you can get extra points there's just a ton of stuff going on in this game and there's the red meeples will let you kill other meeples or you know kill kill them in front of someone or kill them on the board to maybe clear off a space and put down an extra token blue just scores you a pile of points yellow is worth two points and if you have the most at the end of the game you get an extra ten the white meeples are how you're going to be getting uh, they're worth a couple points as well and you have to spend them to acquire a genie. And there's just so many things you can do and it's all based around this awesome Minkala mechanism of picking up meeples dropping them where you end whatever color you end with you pick up all those meeples you can do that action. And you're going to keep playing until there's no more f- actions or somebody gets all their camels out and whoever has the most points is the winner. It's a fantastic game. There's also some bidding mechanism for a turn order which doesn't feel super important at the beginning, but once you get down to those last rounds and you really want to go first, you understand how important it is. But that's a small side. It's basically the Mancala and doing what you can with that and just trying to score as many points as you can. It's a fantastic game. If you haven't tried it, you totally should. There's a couple expansions. We don't even have any of those expansions, and I still have a great time playing this game every single time. It's so good. It's probably... I don't know of the Mancala games that I've played. I'd have to go back to my top 100 to be truly accurate, but this is probably the one that I had the most fun with. So let's put it that way. Cause you can't dispute me on that may not be my favorite, but it's definitely one that goes over well with everybody. I've taught it to and makes the most sense with the Mancala piece. Cause the whole game is based around that mechanism. It's just not a piece of it, which is why I had to put it on the list. So yeah, the Mancala selection, probably not one, Everybody may not want to have a Mancala game, but if you are a fan of Mancala, which a lot of people are, this is the one you should get, and that is Five Tribes. The last game I want to talk about today is for betting. Now, I think we did auctions or bidding before. This is betting. So, this is like I'm going to bet $2, and if something wins, I make five times my bet back. So, I would get $10. Okay, that's what this is betting. This is what we put here. So the one that I put, I actually have a couple. I'm going to talk about two for this one just because I want to, and this episode's kind of short, so get off me. So the two that I want to talk about, we'll talk about my favorite one first, and that is Camel Up. And this game is basically a silly roll and move game of camels that can stand on top of each other and drag each other around the board. Now, where's the betting come in? The way this game works is, on your turn, you're going to do one of, I think, four different actions if you're playing the base game. You're going to roll a die from the pyramid, and it's going to move that camel that many spaces. One to three, I think, is how many they move. If there's a camel on top of it, it'll move with it, all that kind of thing. Or you can um, use this little oasis token, put it on the board, and if a camel lands on it, it will either move it forward or backwards, depending on which side you put it on. If you don't want to do that, you can bet on the winner, which which camel you think is going to win or lose the entire race, because a round is just uh, once every camel's moved once. A race is when one camel has finished, so it'll be multiple rounds over a race. Or the betting part, which is the best part, you're going to take one of these tiles, and if that camel is in first or second at the end of the round, not the race, the round, so once all camels have moved, you earn some money. Now, it's a little bit different than betting because you're not actually spending money unless you take a camel tile. Say I say yellow is going to get first or second, but it ends up getting third, fourth, fifth, or sixth, however many there are. I lose a coin. So if you're betting, even though you're not paying anything, if you bet wrong, you're still going to lose points. So it's a coin. So it's almost like you spend a coin, and if you get it correct, first or second, you're going to get some coins based on how early you get to it, but if you get it wrong, you're gonna lose some coins. So that's the big asset aspect of this game is trying to figure out which camel is gonna win each round, which camel is gonna you're kind of betting on which camel is gonna win the total race, which camel is gonna come in last. Whoever gets to that first gets the most money. So it's all based around that betting feel without actually spending game money to bet. So my kind of betting, I guess I would love to bet if it didn't spend money. But this is a fantastic game. There's a newer version. We have the old version, the first edition, but there's a new version with different kind of art that's fantastic. Same game, just different look. And I highly recommend it. If you're if that sounds good to you, you need to check this out because it is so much fun. Now, the other game I want to talk about has to do with horses because you can't have a betting category without a horse racing game. And the game I want to talk about, even though this isn't my favorite horse racing game, is called Homestretch. Now, this is... Probably the best simulation of horse betting that I've played. Now, I haven't played a ton of horse racing games, so I've played Long Shot the Dice game, which is a better game, but the betting in that one doesn't feel like it does in Home Stretch. So, the way a Home Stretch works is everyone's going to have these tokens. I think there's two, uh, they range from like one, two, and three, something like that. You have a couple instances of each of them. And you're going to take these tokens and you're going to put them on these betting. Numbers. So for each horse, there's like a line of betting. So maybe for horse number two, I want to bet my three times that this horse is going to get first, second, or third. And if that gets right, it's a $16 bet. So I would get three times 16. I don't know what the numbers are. I'm just making these up. But a two has a really low probability of rolling. And that's what we're going to get to in a second. So Six and seven have the highest probability, six, seven, and eight have the highest probability of rolling on two dice. So, betting on those, while they will probably pay out, they pay out lower. But you're almost more guaranteed that one of those three horses is going to get first, second, or third. Show, place, win, place, and show. And um, so, it's not going to pay out as much. So, you're going to take all these tokens and you're going to bet. Multiple players can bet on the same one, it doesn't matter. And then, after everybody's bet, uh, People are also going to have an ownership stake in some of these horses that if you if that horse wins, you're going to get some extra money. But that's not the crux of the game. The crux of the game is after you bet, then you're going to start rolling these horses. Each player is going to take two dice and they're going to roll them. They have a choice at that, at that moment. They can either move that the horse that they rolled, so 2 through 12, up to two spaces, or move a one space. And roll again, I believe. I haven't played this game for a bit. Or if you don't want to do that, you can pass the die, not move the horse at all, and it just goes to the next player. Now, why would you not want to move the horse? Because if you move the horse, it could push it over a finish line. Maybe you don't want that horse to win. So if this horse is two spaces from winning and you don't want it to move, you just don't move it and you pass. Or you can move a one and hope you don't roll it again, but that's risky. So it's just sometimes easier just to pass. You're going to keep doing that until 3 of the horses have crossed the finish line, win place and show. Then you're going to check the bets, see if anybody bet on those 3 horses and do the multiplication. All the money's tracked around the outside like a score track. So you don't have to have paper money and all that stuff. It's really nice. Just basically points is what you're earning. But it's it's super fantastic. It does betting of most of the games that I've played almost better than any of them. It feels it feels good. Ready, set, bet is strictly a betting game. I just don't feel like there's a lot of game there, but it probably does betting better than Homestretch. I just, there's no game. So I wanted to talk about one that actually has a game as well. So that's why I tackled Homestretch and Camel Up. They give you a good feel of betting, but they're also really fun games. So that's a little bonus one. I couldn't pick just one, so you got two. So those are the five games from today. We have Heavy Game, we have The Gallerist. We have Economic Game, we have Lords of Vegas, Resource management, we have Juicy Fruits. I'm um, in Game, we have Five Tribes. And betting, we have Camel Up and Homestretch. I'm trying to think if I can think of any of them that Katie had. Um, she actually had Camel Up for betting, and I had Homestretch. So you kind of got hers in that one. I can't think of any of the other ones. I shouldn't have deleted them, but again, we're pretty okay, and I jacked that up. So yeah, we probably won't have another episode of this. I don't know what we're going to start next. Who knows? It could just be picking a game off the shelf and just talking about it. Who knows? But that's five parts of the games every gamer should own. I think that's like 46 games or something like that. We've probably had some overlap, so maybe we'll go with like 42 games. That if you had these in your collection, I think you would have enough games to play to last you a year. You could play all those games, each of those games once a month, and you'd end up playing them all less than 12 times. And that would... You know, you still wouldn't have, have 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 been into these games enough that you understand everything about them, and I think that's awesome. So that's all I got for you. Uh, as always, check out our YouTube. I've been trying to drop a bunch of new videos. I've been doing this new thing where I break each video down into a playthrough and a review. I know some people want to watch the playthroughs. Some people want to watch a review. It also keeps the videos from being 30 minutes long, so you can have 10 to 12-minute videos and, you know, get the flavor that you like. We're also trying to do this podcast on a more regular basis, which is why I'm here flying solo because Kitty was busy or we would have had to push it about another week. And you know, so there may be more of this, whatever I'm going to keep these podcasts coming for you. You'll at least get something that you can listen to and scratch your itch. And maybe someday you'll be able to hear Kitty's voice again, hopefully next week. So we'll see. Uh, we also have Twitter or X, whatever Instagram, you can listen to our videos or so watch our videos on rumble. Not any kind of statement or anything. Just another platform that we can play some videos. They automatically upload. I don't have to think about it. Occasionally I get some comments, but whatever. Some people aren't into YouTube. I don't care about all that. If you want to watch it on Rumble, go for it. Uh, We have Instagram. We have our website. I'm continually doing blogs and rants. Some kind of written review. Sometimes I'll do top fives on there. Mostly it's just rants. I ranted about Heat last time and that was fun. Um, But yeah, it's you can find us anywhere anywhere that there's social media we're probably there with few exceptions we even have a tiktok that i posted like two videos on i don't really get into tiktok but if you want to hit us a message there and want some videos well, i'd gladly do it uh so yeah that's what i got for you today sorry no katie hopefully she'll be back next week but until then i guess i'm jason and as always keep gaming